All right. Well, thank you once again for joining us on another exasperating episode of V8 Radio. Uh, I'm Kevin Oste, joined <laughs> as usual by our co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal Clark. I feel so exasperated. You know, and I don't even know what that means. But it just, I don't know either. <laughs> just, <laughs> I think it means we've had enough. <laughs> Is that what it means? Oh, that's no, not what I meant. <laughs> but not really. <laughs> that's not what I meant. No, not at all. Uh, I was kind of saying I'm overjoyed. You know, I'm, I'm joyful and then then beyond. Outstanding. Yeah, right on. I, I, I feel you. <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, I'm not overjoyed to, to report that uh, I have still not yet solved my personal automotive project challenges oh, at this no. point. Only because I haven't, I haven't done much. In our, our last episode, we touched on some ways to have a better garage experience and uh, talked about how I have a broken Galaxy and a transmission that is possibly on the skids on the RIV. And uh, I went and visited our local tranny shop. We have a, a shop that does the rebuilds and repairs for us. Mm-hmm. It's called Fox Transmission. And uh, the guy that runs that, his name is James. And James is brilliant. And I, I approached him and gave him the list of things that I had attempted to uh, troubleshoot on this thing. And he's like, yeah, it's doing some funky stuff. And he threw me a governor. He had one on a shelf. He's like, here, try this. And I'm right. like, really cool. And I said, I did try that. And he goes, don't forget that Turbo 400 governors, they, they're voodoo. Some work, some don't. You, know, you just never know. He oh. said, so, so give it a try. So okay. I, said, I said, all right. I said, you know, just out of curiosity, if this transmission's junk, you know, what do you get for a rebuild? And he's like, 500 bucks. And I okay. was like, wow. So I, winner, winner. Yeah, I drove the car. I, I didn't have the car with me. I, I, I drove back to the shop and uh, was talking with the guys in the shop and, and Trevor and, and Kelly and – Trevor's like, what did James say? And I said, well, he gave me a governor to try out. And he said, oh, are you going to do it? And I said, yeah, I got to, you know, jack the car up and crawl underneath it and change it out. And he goes, what was he, what would he charge to rebuild that thing? And I said, he told me 500 bucks. And he goes, and you're going to put the governor anyway? Just go bring him the car, dummy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, sir. Hell, I'm going to take my transmission down to him. I'm going to make the drive down there. Yeah. $500 for a rebuild. Done. Well, that's, yeah. So I'm back to, uh, uh, getting ready to dig that uh, overdrive out of the out of the storage barn and and maybe let him find out what he would get to do that one, but okay. at, at least I know that that's probably what's going to happen. So cool. that's, that's we well, got options. I do. So that's, yeah, that's good. Just don't have good time. options. Yeah, yeah. Both good options. Just don't have time. Yeah. Right. So that's where I've been on that. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, before we get too deep into this episode, I gotta give a, uh, a shout out to a friend of mine who's been uh, promoting the show. His uh, my buddy Greg, aka Strictly Gravy Dubin. <laughs> Strictly Gravy, nice. <laughs> that that's his that's his name, man. And uh, he he grew up here in the Chicagoland area. He's now living in Atlanta in the Atlanta area. He was you know raised in Illinois, but born to be a redneck, and that's uh, exactly what he is now. Driving his. Uh, his uh, 3500 series Dodge uh, Dually diesel truck. Nice, that's cool. And loving every minute of it. Yeah, he's a real good guy. Loves the show and is telling all his friends about it. So thank you, Greg, and yeah. there's your shout out, buddy. Heck yeah, let us know what we owe you for that one, Greg. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> appreciate the uh, appreciate the uh, the enthusiasm and spreading the propaganda. Dig it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and rolling coal. Rolling coal. That's just oh, he loves it. He loves it. Yeah, there's but, uh, uh, that's a strong culture by us too, 
And uh, it's incredible sure. what these guys are doing with these trucks. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because our shop truck is a it's an 07 Duramax with the LBZ engine and the, mm-hmm. we we specifically sought that truck out because it's the diesel with the 6-speed Allison transmission it's the first year for the 6-speed and it's also the last year before catalytic converters so there's a sweet spot oh yeah of, cool. of, of the truck to get you know and and we found All this right. one in Arizona so it was a clean rust free you know Arizona dry truck and our mission you know we use this to pull the 24 foot trailer and you know go Mm -hmm. to car events and stuff and kelly drives it every day it's it's her rig it's a crew cab long bed uh you know 2500 diesel that's nice it is and we put a uh a diablo sport in tune programmer on it and with the diesels you know the more fuel you throw at it the more power it makes and it's really what it's all about so in this case, we didn't want to grenade this thing, so uh, we just put kind of the towing tune on it, which equates to, I don't know, 40 horsepower or something, and like okay. 60 or 80 foot-pounds additional. And the thing makes 600 foot-pounds, you know, from the factory wow. or something like that. Holy cow. So uh, Kelly's out driving this thing after we do the tune on it, and she comes back to the shop, and she's like, I think there's something wrong with this tune-up. And, you know, we said, what's, what's the problem? And you notice it's different right away because it, it controls the the uh, boost controller on the turbo differently so the engine responds differently the uh. turbo spools at a different rate <laughs> and, and she goes i don't know i'm driving on the it's a two-lane highway between our shop and the and the house basically i'm on my way to work you know and and uh it's just kind of it just lost power you know it was i was just cruising along and all of a sudden it, it just kind of nosed over so trevor our our mechanic says well let me take it for a spin so he gets in it and drives and he comes back and he's like i i I didn't notice anything you know i I don't know what the problem is it feels good how fast were you going (laughs) 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 and she's like well i think it was about 94 or so you know (laughs) i'm like oh my my god he knows her (laughs) yeah i'm like are you kidding me so Trevor deduced that the uh, the tuner had a speed limiter that matched the tire rating. The tires oh, wow. have a speed rating, and especially when you're dealing with a tall truck tire. Yeah. You know, in a four-wheel drive truck, these things aren't supposed to be going, you know, over 90 miles an hour continuous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so the best. <laughs> it, w- it was the rev limiter, you know, bringing the, the speed down. So mm-hmm. that, that's what that was. So, But we've been very happy with the truck. So the other nice thing was that she couldn't really argue against that. She, you know, needs the safety of the tires. So she's not like, oh, you know, because you can turn the rev limiter off or the speed limiter off the governor. Mm-hmm. You can you may go full tilt if you want. But, you know, yeah, you better hold on when everything lets go. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, you, you got a uh, you got a trivia question on tap? I do, as a matter of fact, and uh, went a slightly different direction this time. We've got an Oldsmobile oh. trivia question. Oh, all right. Well, I got me a four trivia question. Oh, well, this Oldsmobile question, you're either going to know it right away, um, and and you'll give me a hard time for throwing you an easy one, but. Mm-hmm. But then, well, I think I think I deserve an easy one at this point. <laughs> I, I deserve all of them to be easy. Yeah. Uh, so clean and simple. 1968 Hurst Olds. What is the engine size? 
68 Hurst Olds. Yeah, so um, so it's a cutlass platform, A body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the Hurst Olds in 68 uh started out as uh uh destined to be 442 cars, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they were all built out of 442, so that is your question. Would you like me to repeat it or you you got it? <laughs> no, I got it. Sorry, don't mean to don't mean to throw out some dead air there. No, no, no it's um, it's drama, man. <laughs> it's leading up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I'm not real hip on on Oldsmobile engine sizes, unfortunately. Um, well, they had a. F- it wouldn't be a 403. Uh, the other, the, don't... the other thing you want to consider in this is uh-huh. the, the time period. Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to think of. 68. I don't think it would be a 455 at that point. Um, me uh, or uh, four hundred. I I got to see. Uh, <laughs> this is killing me. I mean, part of me wants to say three fifty rockets. Uh, sixty eight. Um. All right, good night. Now you feel my pain on that Camaro question that I botched yeah. last time. That was yeah. Well, good. You deserve to get beat up once once in a while. Yeah, by something. Give you too much easy ones. Something silly like that that I should have known. I still still can't sleep. um um Mm -hmm. i will say engine size 68 hearst olds Mm -hmm. cutlass Mm -hmm. 350 350 that's your final answer that's it throw a final answer okay let me make a note of that three five zero and everyone's laughing at me i'm sure that's listening to this right now it's like you you don't know anything about cars you've gotten every question wrong no and this one included no no, no. The, the ones that they're laughing at were that i got camaro engines wrong that was yeah. ridiculous. this one at least uh-huh. not everybody knows hearst olds and mm-hmm. there's some there's some leeway there okay yeah appreciate that uh okay here we go for you um there were two 1966 427 Cobras that were specially prepared by Carroll Shelby himself. They, they were chassis numbers CSX 3303 and chassis numbers CSX 3015. How were they different from your standard garden variety 427 Cobra? I believe they were both supercharged with turbochargers. Ah, I don't know. Maybe there weren't. <laughs> Good thing this isn't a video chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just said, thought you were waving to me that I was number one. Yeah, yeah you are number one, fella. Well, we'll find out later in the show uh, yeah. if Kevin was right or not. All right. Well, those are those are fun cars. Those two. Yeah. There's some great stories about both of those. So, uh, all right, yeah, that, that's my guess, is that they were... Okay, well, good guess. Well, boosted. We'll, again, again, we'll see. All right. We'll see. We'll see if you're right. Okay. <laughs> sure will. Yes, sir. Um, you uh, you recently just went to a, um, a job fair at a local college, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I was very, very impressed with this experience. Um. We're right outside of St. Louis is where our shop is, and kind of in the heart of St. Louis is a technical college called Rankin Technical College, and it's over, I'm pretty sure it's over 100 years old. They've been there for a long time. Oh, wow. Yeah, and 
Rankin in this part of the country is kind of ubiquitous in the sense that everybody knows of Rankin, but they might not know what they do there or they might not know what programs are offered, but, you know, everybody hears about it. So, uh, Kelly, we are always at the V8 Speed and Resto Shop, we're always looking for talented people to build these cars, and we've got a dynamite crew at this point. Um, but she had signed us up for a job fair over there to go meet some potential um, students that are coming through the, uh, they have a high-performance automotive program. They have a, uh, a traditional collision repair program over there. And they've got some other technical fields. And she's like, you know, Friday morning, we got to get up early and head to rank and, and be part of this job fair. And I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I'd, I'd never been to a job fair. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, get, I know what a job fair is, but I just wasn't, right. wasn't sure what we're walking into. And it, it just knocked me over uh, from several different levels. Uh, the first one being that the, and I, I had been to the school, but it, it had been probably seven or eight years. The facility at Rankin is phenomenal. They, um, in their automotive technology and their high performance engine workshops and in their collision repair business uh, or co- collision repair curriculum, they have I mean, it's like walking into a new dealership, basically, with rows Sweet. and rows of, of lifts and frame racks and, and every kind of engine machining machine, you know, you can, you can want is there. Mm-hmm. And, and the instructors are all top-notch. Um, and we know a lot of people that have been there. In fact, Kelly's brother, John, who helped us build the Royal Sport Camaro, is a, a ranking grad. Nice. Uh, yeah, we have customers who, uh, the guy that owns the, the black 69 Chevelle that I think you saw at the uh, yeah. Muscar yeah, Corvette Nationals. Yeah. He's a ranking grad from back in 68, you know. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah, like I said, it's kind of ubiquitous. But um, what Rankin really did uh, that I thought went way above and beyond and believe me i'm not getting paid by these guys or you know any kind of a uh you know promotional consideration this is this Mm -hmm. is straight straight up they assembled 400 companies to come to this job fair and they had them all arranged by kind of the various disciplines so we're talking the automotive side which is where we were displaying then they had uh, information technology. Then they've got some healthcare information technology. Then they've got machining, and they've got HVAC, and they've got plumbing and carpentry, and you know, and all this stuff, right? And when you look at the list of companies that were there, uh, in our corner of the the deal, all of the top um, multi-facility car dealership groups were there. So there's mm-hmm. there's a handful of like super dealers that have you know seven or eight or ten or twelve stores. Um, those those companies were all there looking to hire mechanics and body guys and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then you had like you know Boeing was there and oh uh, boy oh yeah and and Triple um, uh, and and Hearst I'm sorry Hertz Penske Truck Leasing is one of the biggest employers in the area and they're there and. And it just goes on and on. So all these like super high tech manufacturing companies and, you know, all the way on down to, uh, you know, like I said, what we were in, all the way down to us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all the way down to us. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And, and everything in between. And, and what was neat about it is they, they prepped all the students in advance and they said, okay, here, here's what's going on. 
we've assembled all these companies and the attendees were uh, current students that are getting ready to graduate maybe in another year or two, uh, recent grads from this year and alumni were all welcome to show up. And yeah, you had a couple of knuckleheads walking around who really didn't seem like they had any direction, but the the vast majority by far were students and grads and alumni that the lights were on and they would approach a particular company, usually knowing something in advance. I mean, everybody knows who Penske truck rental is, you know, so they, they, they knew about them there, but they would come up and say, they'd look in the eye and say, hi, my name is, you know, Wally or whatever. And, and, uh, I'm in the automotive, uh, high performance machining program and uh, I'm learning, interested to learn about your company, you know, and, and what do you guys have to offer and what positions are you hiring? So we would talk to them and ask them, you know, what they're into and what they like doing and kind of tell them what we do and what they would be doing for us. And, and these guys were quick to, and gals were quick to pull out a resume uh, and contact information. And, nice. and the, they asked solid questions and they, um, they had great follow-up. Uh, two of them, the, the very next day, came to the shop and did a tour uh, to see what we were all about. Sweet. Um, yeah, it, it was it was very impressive, and I, and I kind of stepped back and thought to myself, when I when I graduated from college, I graduated from Illinois State University in in uh, Bloomington Normal, and those guys, you know, the the first thing they did was show me the door. They're like, okay, your last check cleared here's your diploma, get out of here, you know, here's your funny hat, go home. Uh, you know, and I think a week later, I started getting hit up by the alumni fund to contribute back to the school, you know, and I'm not saying it wasn't a good education, but the amount of legwork it takes to assemble 400 top companies and deliver them on a silver platter to the students, I thought was unbelievable. That's, yeah, that's a huge leg up that they're getting. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. And to think of how much time it would take to make those connections individually as a graduate, you know, to start pounding the phones and, and get the yeah. gatekeeper who answers the front phone and then put me through to this guy, to that guy, and get hung up on and call back. And here they all are, right. you know, right there. Mm-hmm. And we kind of developed a few pointers um two people that are going to attend these kind of things. If there's an opportunity and we've done job fairs, I have not personally, but Kelly has been to several others that are um, just more open to the public and weren't as, as specific as these programs. Uh, But on both sides of the fence, we try to be very active at this event. um, The same way we try to be active at a SEMA trade show or at a car show where when there's people walking by, you know, you stand in the aisle and say, Hey, come on over here, you know, and, you know, kind of do the the circus act to get people over and and engage them. Uh There was a, uh, one of the auto dealer groups had a, a a table across the, the hall from us and they had three people sitting there that never got out of the chair once. And they were just staring at their phone the whole time. Oh, brother. Yes. And, And I thought to myself, well, Here's an example of three people that work for a, a probably a very large company who got told, yeah, Friday, you got to go do this thing. And they don't, they got no dog in the fight, you know, and it didn't matter. Right. So, yeah, they don't want to be there. And, right. Uh, so that opportunity was wasted on them. And at the end of the day, they, I don't think they had a single resume. I don't think anybody talked uh-huh. to them. I think they just missed out on the whole thing. Um, and you, you got to be proactive to, to yep. talk to these people. And our, mm-hmm. our result was, I think Kelly said she got 27 resumes. 
uh, from from candidates. Yeah, it was huge. Um, and I'm not saying they're all the right fit or they're all hired or anything like that. Right. Um, but those who took the time to uh, um, to ask about your company and and you know, of course, our advantage was you have some of the oil change places were there. And they're they're trying to entice people by saying, "Yeah, you can work here and change oil all day." And then we've got mm-hmm. an eight hundred horsepower Camaro on our bench, you know, saying, "You know, you can build this." You know, it's up to you, whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, mm, decisions. Yeah, so they're all a little bit more excited to see what we had to offer than you know some of the others. So that's one of the reasons why we got so many so many resumes. Um, but the few turnoffs that I had from individuals were people that would come up and say, "You know, what do you do?" As opposed to, tell me about your company, you know, if they'd never yeah. heard of us, which is fine. So there was, you know, and, and maybe the college is helping those guys uh, develop a little bit of tact and interview savvy, mm-hmm. you know, skills or whatnot, communication right. skills. But but overall, man, I was I was knocked over. And, I, and uh, the side benefit was that I got a chance while Kelly was doing some interviews and, and networking with these students and grads, I got a chance to walk around and talk to some of the other shop owners and some of the other businesses. Uh, and these people that might not know who we are, or maybe they do know who we are. And, uh, I think we, we might've picked up, uh, two car customers out of it. All right. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, one guy's like, Oh yeah, I've always wanted, I've heard about you guys. I always want to come down and see the shop, you know? So it's like, okay, well, here's a card, call me whatever. And then, um, we're, we're starting our promotion for the 2017 drive in cruise event. And I think I might have gotten two companies that want to help sponsor that deal, too. Oh, winner, winner, man. Yeah. So, you know, we were kind of working it in all directions. Sure. And that's why uh, when we left, I thought that was that was just an awesome experience. So even if you're if you're a business person who isn't necessarily looking to hire, uh, being at one of those things might put you in touch with business opportunities and stuff that you don't even you don't even think about. Mm-hmm. And, and then knowing that there was, here's the other aspect, 400 companies that are just hungry to hire people, you know, that says volumes about the economy, uh, that it's, it's starting to go the right yeah. direction, but, Absolutely. but in specific in technical fields, you know, and we have such a shortage of, of technical, um, you know, performers as employees, uh, that these, these people can write their own ticket at a lot of these places, uh, because if you're good at a skill, you know, you're in demand. It's nice. Yeah. It, for those yeah. people, definitely. So absolutely. I, I don't know if there is a, uh, the equivalent of like a, uh, a liberal arts, you know, job fair where there's people with liter- literature degrees and, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> east indian dance interpretation degrees and you know with with 400 companies that want to hire them you know and i'm not saying anything negative towards that i'm just saying this is is go time for these guys so now does does rankin hold that job for every year i think they they do it several times a year oh no kidding yeah oh yeah Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. You still get that many people there. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. When you really think about it, it was, it was really intense. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that, that school's pretty neat because it's also a privately owned uh, uh, institution. So mm-hmm. you don't see – right now you're just starting to see some I – mean, there's always been some local advertising and promotion about it. But they, they, want, they told me at one point they want to 
try to hire the locals or train the locals to work locally is what, you know, they kind of like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the neighborhood around the, the school is, is kind of sketchy. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of dilapidated and it's not, not that nice. Um, but at the same time, you'll, as you're driving in, there's a whole, there's two blocks of new houses. Well, those, those houses were built by the students. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. They work with oh, the community. That's, that's yeah, killer. It is. And they train them t- and, and carpentry skills and plumbing and electrical. And they actually build houses for people right down the street, you know? That's it's, terrific. Yeah, it is. Good for those guys. It's, it's a neat deal. And and again, it's not publicly traded, so they don't have to appease the the shareholders. Right. And and oftentimes those types of educational institutions are more concerned with churn and burn, get them in, get as many students as you can so it looks profitable. Right. You know, and that's not what these guys are all Absolutely. about. So that was neat. That is cool. That's really cool. When you know, when I was in high school, I was in an auto mechanics program in my junior and senior year when I lived in Texas, and this was in Waxahachie, Texas. And um, I would yeah, go God, there. God bless you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would go there three hours a day, every day. Um, it was half my school day. And uh, in my senior year, they even set us up with uh, who's ever interested in like an internship at a, de- at a local dealership, mm-hmm. which I took advantage of. And you kind of learned the whole mechanic. And that was, it was for, for mechanics. And that was you, you'd learn the whole kind of business, how to be a mechanic and what it entails and how you make money and learning the flat rate and learning the business. And it was really good education for me. It was, we didn't have a a job fair like, like Rankin did, but, uh, but we did have, you know, opportunities to learn real world stuff while we're still going to school. And that really let you know, is this what I want to do after I graduate as well? And, And it gave you a good, you know, a good basis to, to form an opinion on it. Well, and until you get that, um, real world context, you know, you have no idea what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of neat. We've been able to open the communication with some of the professors. Um, for example, they've got a, a high performance, uh, tuning division of the high performance engine curriculum. So these guys are learning how to machine engines and learn about, you know, performance camshafts and cylinder heads and everything but they're also using the hp tuners software product to tune you know naturally aspirated turbo cars you know that kind of stuff and that's the same software that we use in the shop and uh we are going to work with those guys to find out what areas they are uh teaching and what they are stressing as opposed to what we do to our customers cars to make sure Mm -hmm. that they they align you know, because gotcha. you don't want somebody who's just trying to teach somebody how to do the highest possible horsepower number at, you know, peak RPM. When in right. reality, we spend the most time making sure that your EFI system doesn't stall when you put the car in gear. You know, <laughs> really, yeah. you know, the, that, the, that's helpful. Yeah. The drivability aspect is huge, you know, because everybody's mm-hmm. so spoiled by new cars that you turn the key and it starts and it right. never has any bad manners. Mm-hmm. Um and today's EFI systems are great in the sense that many of them are, you know, a self-tuning design that that can uh, tweak their own air fuel curves and and um, smooth out the air fuel ratio. But I don't think any of them make those adjustments uh, at idle. They'll they'll hit a target idle, 
but they don't know if the car is in gear or if you're decelerating or coming to a stoplight or you know that kind uh, of stuff. And and that's huh. where the drivability comes in. You have to manually tune those kind of areas. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, when a customer spends a whole bunch of money on a, it doesn't even have to be a fully restored car. It could be whatever he brought in, but mm. spent many thousands on maybe an engine and a fuel injection conversion and is expecting this thing to drive like his Toyota Camry from a reliability mm-hmm. and, and drivability sure. standpoint. And all of a sudden it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, a, we have a problem, sir. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's what these students need to know is that you can, mm-hmm. you can focus all you want on making the peak power number, but that is generally not going to be uh what's done all the time yeah that's not your bread and butter your bread and butter is going to be making a car run right right yeah so that's that's funny when when i was in school <laughs> this was in uh i graduated in 1987 and uh we were learning about uh a lot of cars were still carbureted and we had the com- computer command control Rochester Quadrajet, yes, and nice. we would learn how to tune that, and and we had a little, little handheld tuner thing. Well, that would give you the trouble codes as to what could be wrong with it, and it would tell you if you were an open loop or closed loop. And, and our minds were just blown by this, you know, cutting edge technology. That's right, the feedback that we were hardware. learning back then. Yeah, oh, it was crazy. And you you turn the 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 key to the on position, and you could hear the mixture solenoid clicking inside the carburetor all the time until you turned it on and it was constantly moving to to improve that 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 uh, air fuel ratio it was it was pretty cool stuff and you had you know every once in a while you'd get a tune port tune port injected camaro in there and we were like oh my god this is the coolest thing ever and we worked on customers cars in that shop too so we would have to you know do a real job and write up a ticket and Mm -hmm. they paid for parts but all the labor was free and and we got a great education on how to work on this stuff. It was, it was actually it, it it helped me a lot in my later years when I'm you know working on my GTO and it gave me a good mechanical education, and uh, I can do a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. myself and I don't have to farm hardly anything out that I don't you know that I'm not really interested in doing. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, well, and the neat thing back then is looking back at. Uh, um, the perspective that many people had electronic fuel injection was voodoo. You know, they had no idea what was going on inside this thing. And there was a, Mm -hmm. an assumption that hot rodding was dead because, Hmm. you know, I remember reading all the magazines. Um, Jeff Smith wrote an article, uh, you know, about not being able to modify this fuel injection car because it's pre-programmed to have, a particular air fuel ratio, and if you change the camshaft or the intake or whatever, you've ruined it, and there was no way to tune uh-huh. it, right? Because right. back then, you didn't just plug a laptop into it, uh, because in the 80s, you really didn't have a laptop. No. Nope. You, you had something with a little four-line LCD screen or some garbage, uh-huh. you know, and the, right. there was no connection port on the car uh, to be able mm-hmm. to communicate with it before, you know, yeah. OBD, uh, OBD2 at least. Yeah, and uh, I never forget. I think it was '84. There was a hot rod cover that had the big red circle with the line through it, and it said, "Can they outlaw hot rodding?" And it was huh. the government aspect as well. It's like, okay, well, these fuel mm-hmm. injection systems are here to keep you from monkeying with your car and conform and be legal. And here come the mm-hmm. uh, the smog police and all the rest of it. Right. 
And part of that was to stir up some controversy and get people riled up. And it worked yeah. It worked so well that in the mid-2000s, I believe, when David Freiberger was at the helm of, of basically all of those magazines as, exec- or as editorial director, they ran that same cover on like five different magazines. No kidding. With the same line, can they outlaw hot rodding? Because it was, oh boy. It was now, you know, the EPA had, had again become more stringent uh yeah and they were they were commenting about real-time feedback that the government could you know listen to your car as you were driving and know if you mess with stuff (laughs) you know so that's funny yeah well even before the fuel injection they were even on carbureted cars in the mid to late 80s they were plugging the uh idle mixture uh, access with with plugs so you couldn't get to it and of course everybody in the world who knew anything would just drill those out and they could still change their idle mixture and, and right. do whatever they wanted to do anyway but that was their first attempt at uh, keeping your car emission compliant mm-hmm. even back then yep yep and and that was uh, uh that was also the, the fastest way to void your warranty right away <laughs> yep Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, or like, oh, you messed with this. I'm sorry. I can't touch it now. Yeah. Or like on the 50 Mustangs when they they went to the um, EEC EEC4 fuel injection system, and uh, companies like Hypertech and Jones Electronics Performance, which became Jet or Jones Electronic Technology, were selling chips. Remember, you buy the chip. You know, yep. If you bought a Grand National, you had to get a chip. He bought a Mustang mm-hmm. or a Firebird. Yeah. You know, you get the chip, and the, you, know, you had to on the on the Fords in particular. You had to peel off a sticker to access the data port on the back of the ECM to, uh, to plug your chip in. And if you peeled that sticker, it destroyed it, and then your warranty is smoke. Yeah, yep, yeah. That's that's crazy. Yeah, those chips weren't rewritable, and you had to physically take it out, take your ECM out, open it up, take that chip out, and put the new one in there and mm-hmm. go. It's. It, I remember that. Um, I mean, th- with my Corrado, a lot of people would uh, would um, get a tuned chip to put in there because it wasn't rewritable at all. Mm-hmm. And then when the advent of these ECUs with re- rewritable proms in there, it was it was you know the floodgates were opening for tuners. Yeah, it was great stuff. Yeah, but you know you take that for granted so much yeah. now. Totally. Uh, and then especially looking at the sophistication of the out-of-the-box systems, you know, the, the, the Phytech system, the, the Holly Terminators, and the, and the Holly sn- yeah. Sniper, the new one that came out, super, super cool, super advanced. They work well right out of the box. And now, you, you know, you don't have to know anything about them. You just get them on the car, and they'll figure them out themselves, you know. Right. Yeah, just put a, some basic information in the little handheld tuner that comes with it. Your engine size, number of cylinders, all that, just a few basic things, and you're off to the races. And it gives you a basic tune mm-hmm. and learns. It's great. What we find, though, interestingly, is that a lot of times when somebody will do a retrofit, either if they're taking like a, uh, a stock LS1 out of a, out of a takeout car, and transplanting it into a muscle car, or they're installing, uh, you know, a whole retrofit EFI system or something. The weak link is right. the installation these days. Mm. We see time, is that right? yeah, we see time and time again where people are using uh, butt connectors to put wires together and they come loose, oh. or the uh, the Scotch, what is it, the Scotch lock, the little blue connector that you fold over and. Yeah. Right oh yeah. Piggybacks power oh. from one wire. Oh, I'm good at those. 
<laughs> yeah, and what I tell people, you know, the, people ask me, well, you know, why do they sell them, you know, if these things don't work, you know, or, or God forbid, uh, wire nuts. You know, we see a lot of wire nuts under the dash. <laughs> and I try to tell people that wire nuts are great in a house because the house isn't moving. Right. <laughs> you know, those those scotch lock connectors are great if you're going to, you know, if you're going to add an ice maker to your uh, refrigerator or something <laughs> and you need right. to piggyback a little wire here and there because it, it's done and it doesn't move around. But when you're driving this thing around, you're exposing it to extremes of temperature, ice, cold wintertime, hot summer and humidity and shaking it all around. And then you want to build something that goes fast. So you're, now you're going down the drag right. strip or whatever and they all shake loose. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the problem. So it's, uh, it's not so much the hardware, it's the, uh, the installation of the fuel systems. People take shortcuts on fuel systems they should never do. Uh, you know, yeah. And, and every once in a while, you see on Facebook, unfortunately, you know, some some hot rod that burned down, and it's like, you know, yeah. that was probably a hundred percent avoidable. You know? That that hurts when you see that too. Yeah, it really hurts. Yeah, you can't even make fun of a guy like that. It just it really hits home because. You think, man, what if that was me? I lost my hot rod. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a video I saw recently, and it was actually shot in the Chicago area. I think it was last year. Some guy had like a brand new, like a 2015 or 16 GMC truck pulling up a 26 or 30-foot long box trailer, all shined up, beautiful. And he had a freshly restored 69 Camaro on fire in the trailer. And it took the car down. It took the trailer down. You know, and, oh. oh, it was awful. And there are, oh. there's so many lessons there of, of things to, you know, things not to do. And I don't know what the cause of that particular fire was, but I know when we're going to transport a car, we disconnect the battery in the car. Got to have That's f- good policy. Oh yeah. Got to have fire extinguishers in the trailer and in the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, as we build these things, uh, we use either as much OE level, um, you know, we use all weather pack connectors. And, weather pack connectors, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we use uh, OE style uh, push lock or, or um, in some cases, you know, AN type fittings on fuel systems and everything else. Sure. And then we, we absolutely make sure that nothing is run near a heat source. And nothing is going to be abraded, so you don't have a suspension component or something rubbing on a fuel line that's going to blow through it eventually and spew. I mean, a high, an EFI system's got a, a 65 psi yeah. fuel pump, so yep. so one of those fuel lines lets go, and now you're spraying hot fuel at that pressure on a header or something, and and it's over. You know, it is. And it's nothing to take lightly. No. Nope. Uh, we see a lot of rubber hoses on, on trans lines, like an automatic transmission. Instead of having a hard, sure. hard line front to back, somebody, yeah. somebody put a rubber hose in. Well, that's all fine and good until that hose becomes soft from the transmission fluid. Yeah. And then it lets the go. The heat and the pressure, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and then you're pumping hot oil out onto the radiator, onto the header and the exhaust. Yeah. It goes up yeah, that, that stuff way. Burns, that stuff burns good, too, when it's on a <laughs> it's on a exhaust manifold. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, so... It's uh, it gets a little spooky, and I guess that's part of the reason why you know we're in business on that aspect of it is um, to try and do this stuff properly. Uh, and yeah. When when a customer will bring a car into our shop, the first thing we do is put it up on a rack, and we've got about a ten page inspection form, and we walk from back to front, underneath, and on top, and we analyze everything about this car that you can see basically with your eyes. 
So it's, okay. it's uh, you know, every suspension bushing, every hose fitting, every, you know, if there's loose bolts or anything on the suspension parts, uh, is it leaking? Are we leaking engine seals or exhaust or rear main or any of that stuff? And then on the top side, it's all a check of all the functions. Do we have proper lights working and horns and all that jazz? And then we get into the fit and finish and, you know, uh-huh. the the kind of the aesthetics of the car. And, right. and, and we provide that, that list to the customer um, when they're done. They can have that, you know, because that's something that now they've got a record and somebody might bring us a car to do, say, an EFI swap on it. And we find out that, you know, the rear end is dry and the gears are shot and both axle <laughs> seals are leaking and the front yeah. suspension's done. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we tell them, okay, well, we'd love to do this EFI swap, but you might want to prioritize these things, you know, a little yeah. bit differently. Yeah. Uh, find out there. Let's, let's make it safe first and then make it run well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. people put their kids and themselves in these cars. Yeah, you know, you for sure. Can't monkey around with I- yeah, you'd have a lot of. If you looked at my car right now, there'd be a lot of check marks on that form. <laughs> Ooh, boy, <laughs> well, you know, mine too. Uh, <laughs> but the nice oh, thing is, brother. we're able. You know, between our mechanic side and and our fabricator guys, we have learning opportunities amongst each other all the time. You know, mm-hmm. because two guys might walk under a car and see two totally different things. You know, the obvious stuff might huh? jump out. But somebody will say, hey, you know, look at this. Uh, See some nuanced stuff that maybe some guy missed. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, we were displaying uh, the reloaded Camaro at a local car show by us. And a gentleman had a, a 69 Camaro parked five or six stalls down. And he came over to look at ours. And he's like, oh, man, that's nice. You know, and he said, come check mine out. So we went and looked at his. And he just had it. I think he bought it halfway through a restoration and paid some shop to do a bunch of work on it. And the first thing I noticed is that the alternator, um, he's got a broken alternator bracket bolt. Oh, no. Oh, and I'm like, geez. well, you know, that ain't good. And he said, oh, well, I didn't even, you know, didn't even realize it. So luckily we had uh, our truck and trailer were close. So we ended up picking his car up and taking it back to our shop. We put it up on the rack. And this poor guy had spent upwards of 90 bucks an hour at a shop to do a whole bunch of work on this car and no kidding. We put this car on the rack and we discover that both of the front brake lines are rubbing the tire. When you turn the wheel, like 15 degrees either way, you know? And, and Oh wow. Yeah. The rubber is going to saw right through these lines Yep, and it's going to mm-hmm. be over. And it's like, man. So, you know, kind of to take the conversation full circle, that's, that's the reason why we were at Rankin is because mm-hmm. they train these people this kind of stuff uh, in the beginning because, as you know, a hot rod shop, it's not an ASC-certified operation. There's no standards and tests to build hot rods. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, people that like to True. do it, build them. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Didn't even think about that. Yeah, and, and it, it can get kind of scary when you go to some of these places. And, and believe me, there's brilliant shops out there. But then there you also right. you gotta you got to be leery that does this person really know what they are talking about and can they really do what mm-hmm. they say? Or are they just uh, they just super into it, which is great too. Right, but, right. but not super good at it. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. 
Yeah, just stuff to think about. You know, I guess if you take mm-hmm. it somewhere and you don't, you don't have a good feeling about it, you know, there's probably a reason for it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, I've rambled quite a bit about all that stuff, and uh, I'm curious to know if I was uh, correct. Uh, on my trivia question this time, because I have a, come, I have a, come on, man, why why do you got to rub my face? In I'm it? not rubbing nothing. <laughs> I, I got another story about one of those cars. So, uh. okay, all right. Question was 1966 427 Cobras, two prepared by Shelby. Personally, what was different about them versus the other 427 Cobras uh, that were out there? And Kevin guessed that it was they were supercharged. And well, what do you know? Kevin's right. They had twi- <laughs> twin packs and superchargers were installed. Yep, yep, yep. Those were known as super snakes yeah. at that time. Super snakes. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, one of them went for sale at Barrett Jackson last year. Uh-huh. 15, 2015. It's in Scottsdale. Yeah, that went for like ridiculous money, right? Well, it's kind of interesting how it went down because um, that was part of a big collection that that went up for sale, and uh, and now and now I'm blanking on the guy's name who who sold the whole collection, but the uh, the brothers' collection was interested in the car. Really? Yes. And not only because it was just a bad machine, but because it was Shelby's personal Cobra. You know, this is his deal. Who wouldn't want that? Right, exactly. So I think um, in regular bidding, it went to uh, $5 million, and then then the bidding kind of stopped because I think everything started to get a little ridiculous. And it ended up selling... After the, you know, that it was a no sale on the auction block, and then they came to a okay. came to a deal right afterwards, and I think it sold for five and a half mil. Good heavens! Yeah, and and I have a, a, a screen grab of our buddy Charlie Lillard, who um, I think was possibly doing some of the bidding for the the brothers' collection that day, um, right. or at least being the uh, the proxy. I have a screen grab of him from the television coverage and he's standing there with his arms folded and above him it says like three and a half million dollars or something you know wow it's crazy and i'm like oh man oh (laughs) and it was it took two more to buy it good lord but there's we know who ended up with i don't know who got it um i'm not even going to speculate i i I thought i knew at some point but then i think i was wrong but there's another fun story about that car Mm-hmm. or possibly the other one. Um, it was owned for a time by Bill Cosby. Yeah, yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Good friend Bill Cosby. Uh, there's a, a pretty good YouTube um, story about that where I think he was on, like, Johnny Carson or something, or Dave Letterman, and he was telling him about oh. this car and what it was like huh. to drive it. Yeah, look that up. That's cool. Yeah, I will look that up. That is pretty cool. It Man, was- I, bet that's a, I bet that's a handful to drive. Two hands full at the least, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not not creepy Bill Cosby. It was when he was, you know, he was just being a funny guy at that point. So Right, right. Yeah. So uh, your trivia question was, uh, what is the engine found in the 68 Hurst Olds? Hurst Olds. And uh, yeah. if I check my notes, uh, you went through the gamut of... Uh, <laughs> 
Oldsmobile <laughs> yes, engines. You sp- <laughs> spun the wheel of olds and uh, <laughs> ended up on the 350. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry to say that is incorrect. Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know about that? <laughs> well, the correct answer is a 455. God. And that's it. one of the things that made the the 68 and 69 Hearst Olds so special is they were able to get around the corporate mandate that no A-body could have a larger than 400 cubic inch engine from the factory. Yeah. And they were factory-built cars, but um, George Hurst was able to work some magic and uh, and got those sure. cars assembled with the 455s in them. So that's that's one of so, the things. So they left the factory with the 455. Yep. Wow, that was some magic. Because yeah. even your your Yanko Camaros and stuff, they they left with something other than a 427, right? But they were done at at those dealerships some were done at the dealerships but some of the yankos were a factory deal assembled using that central office production order. oh the copo that's right the right copo so they, they were yeah. able to do that but um yeah the uh, uh the hearst was a special deal neat car yeah yeah neat answer too <laughs> oh well you can't win them all you know no no i haven't won one yet <laughs> For Pete's sake. Yeah, well, uh, that yeah, made up the, for uh, my last week's poor performance. Yeah, yeah. You definitely need to go to remedial trivia question school for me. Good heavens. I'm like the trivia sweat hog. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> i never forget Freddie Boom Boom Washington, man. Nope. He had one of his great quotes. They're playing poker in class. <laughs> <laughs> and he says because mr Carter won't let us play with real money two blues and two whites is worth two blues and two whites <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fabulous <laughs> oh good lord now i'm gonna have to hulu that show or something i gotta see yeah. where i can watch uh, welcome back carter good stuff yeah for sure good stuff man right on all right. Well, listen. Uh, uh, thank you again for joining me on another. Uh, what did we call it? Um, exasperating. Exasperating <laughs> episode of V8 Radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sure was uh, enjoyable on my end. Yeah, I'm exasperated every time I get a trivia question wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe next time you figure out what the word should be, and uh, we'll go yeah. from there. Yeah. All right. We'll go. For, yeah, I will. By golly, I will. All right. And uh, just a reminder, you can, of course, listen to this on V8Radio.com and also on uh, iTunes and uh, the TuneIn Radio app. Um, And we might have some more distribution in the future, but at this point, that's where we're at. So go check it out and subscribe where you can. And we'll see you next time on V8 Radio. (laughs) 